You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for listening in today. It's been a rather eventful week, the past week, to say the least. And I'm going to talk. I'll start it off today by talking about the events in Charleston, South Carolina, where a lunatic, as far as I'm concerned, he is a lunatic, racist, uh, went and executed nine members of a black church for no other reason than he wanted to. He hated blacks. Uh, strangely enough, and, and this is an anomaly that I'm trying to, still trying to sort out, he had bragged about doing something like this to a uh, black drinking buddy of his. And he said he was going to originally go in and attack a, a college in, in Charleston. But then he decided that because they had an, armed security on the campus, it would be better to go to a gun-free zone. And, of course, this particular church was a gun-free zone, as are most churches, as are most universities, as are malls, as are movie theaters. And if you will notice the history of the mass shootings in this country, they all occur in gun-free zones. Newtown, the massacre there, children and teachers, gun-free zone. The Aurora Theater, gun-free zone. Shootings in some malls, gun-free zones. Virginia Tech, gun-free zone. And now we have this church. Just for the sake of argument, what would have happened if one of those people in that church that night had had a concealed weapons permit and had a firearm on them? They might have been able to stop the massacre, at the very least, prevent some of the killings. But, of course, that didn't happen. And that's because the left continues to push for more and more gun-free zones. That's their response, and that was Obama's immediately, immediate response to the news of the massacre. And that was to call for more gun control. And he specifically talked about how this would have been prevented had his Congress passed his gun control proposals. That is another presidential falsehood, if you want to call it that, or just out-and-out lie. And, of course, he knows he lies. He knows the American people, for the most part, are going to realize he lies, but he doesn't care. He's going to lie because that's what the leftists want him to do. What were his specific proposals to Congress? One, to ban assault weapons. Now, this roof kid had a... 45 caliber pistol that his father had given him for his birthday. That's not an assault weapon under any definition. It's not a rifle. It's certainly not a, a long rifle with semi-automatic or automatic capability. <clears throat> automatic weapons are already banned in this country. So that part of the Obama proposal would have had no impact on this incident second part of the proposal is to ban any weapons that can have, can have a magazine of more than 10 rounds, and to ban those magazines specifically. So in other words, if you've got an a AR-14 or AR-15 or an AK-47 or a twenty-two caliber uh, Remington, for example, uh, or Ruger carbine, 
you cannot have a magazine that contains over 10 rounds to go into that. Well, let me tell you about 45 caliber pistols, because I'm very familiar with them. I was in the Army at the time when they were still being used. The average 45 caliber pistol holds between 8 and 9 rounds. I never had one that held 10 rounds. I certainly never had one that held more than 10 rounds. So that part of the Obama proposal would have had no impact on this massacre. It was reported by the one witness, one person who lived, that he reloaded, the man reloaded four or five times, which meant he had extra magazines, none of which contained over ten rounds, and he was perfectly capable of using those magazines and reloading fairly quickly. So this is something that, you know, is a non-starter. Then we have a situation where Obama's proposal called for background checks on people that purchase weapons at gun shows. However, what was exempt from those background checks were people that purchased the weapons to give as a gift to a relative. Well, in this case, the forty-five caliber pistol was purchased by the father to give to his son as a birthday gift. So again, that would not have applied. So Obama gets up in front of the country and says, this would never have happened if my gun control proposals to the Congress had been passed. None of them would have stopped this. And none of them would have stopped somebody like this person who wanted to go out and kill people, who was a racist, from acquiring a weapon illegally. Buying it on the black market, buying it on the street, stealing it. It's the whole gun control fallacy in a nutshell. That they say that you pass gun control, you disarm the honest citizens in this country, and all the gun violence will cease. And, of course, then you have Obama's statement in in the press conference where he also said that no other country in the world has this kind of situation. That it's only in the United States of America that mass shootings occur, that no other countries, uh, advanced countries, have mass shootings. Well, it's Norway... Finland, Sweden, Denmark, Germany, Russia have all had mass shootings at schools. Of course, Pakistan had a recent mass shooting at a school where ISIS and Al-Qaeda supporters came in and wiped out Christian children simply because they were Christians. I would call that a mass shooting. But see, Obama doesn't doesn't look at that sort of thing. He says it, as he always says, that the biggest evil in the world is the United States of America. That if this country can be fundamentally changed, as he wants to do it, if our freedoms can be destroyed, if we can become a good little dictatorship under his or some other leftist control, 
then all of our troubles and all the rest of the world's troubles will instantly vanish. There'll be no more hatred. There'll be no more uh, religious strife. There'll be no more crime. In the United States, you know, crime will cease to exist because one of the things, two of the things that Obama wants to do is, number one, get rid of the guns in private hands, and number two, get rid of the local police authorities. His constant attack on the local police in this country has been occurring since he became president. He wants the local police disarmed and basically wants to turn them into a federal police force or just have have a federal police force, period. Excuse me. Have a police force that would be controlled by Obama and the federal government and would then control the actions of all the local police. Federalize everything, in other words, which is always the leftist response to anything. Federalize it, put it under control of the federal government, and everything will work for perfectly. Everything will be okay. So we have Obama out pushing for more gun control. Gun control that would not have stopped this massacre. Gun control that would have not have stopped any of the massacres that have taken place in this country in recent years because they occur in gun-free zones, which means that you are taking schools, you're taking movie theaters, you're taking malls, you're taking churches, and you're painting a big target on them and saying, look, you come in here with a firearm and you start killing people and there will be nobody there to oppose what you're doing. Nobody. Because we're going to outlaw the private ownership of guns. We're going to outlaw guns being taken in certain places. And that is going to prevent crime and specifically prevent mass killings. I do want to say this about the South Carolina Charleston incident. I had been to Charleston only one time, and that was for a day. And I took a bus tour of the highlights of the city that ultimately culminated in a visit to Fort Sumter, someplace I'd always wanted to go, because I'm a Civil War buff, and I'll go into why in a minute. But the people of Charleston, I, I found, my short stay there, were extremely friendly. They were very proud of their city. They were very proud of its heritage. And I saw no evidence of animosity there between the races. And the response of the people of Charleston to what happened to this massacre has been phenomenal. Nobody has gone out and tried to burn down their own businesses or their neighbors' businesses or their neighbors' homes. Nobody has launched attacks on the police. Nobody has launched racial attacks on each other. They have shown solidarity, solidarity and they have shown compassion for each other and it's just been a remarkable reaction and I guarantee you it was not the reaction that Obama or Al Sharpton wanted they want to use this incident to create more animosity between the races they're trying to divide this country along racial and economic lines and across along religious lines 
with only one religion being favored in this country, and that's the Muslim religion. All other religions are under relentless attack. It's not working in Charleston, South Carolina. And I think the people there need to be commended. There have been almost no incidents. There have been a couple of incidents of somebody burning a Confederate flag and defacing a Confederate war memorial. I don't condone that. I don't condone trying to destroy our history. Because what happened in Charleston, South Carolina, is not a result of endemic racism in this country. Certainly not endemic racism in Charleston, South Carolina. By the way, the killer didn't even live in Charleston. He lived uh, quite a few miles away in another small town. Charleston has handled this remarkably well. And everybody in that, that city deserves to be commended. And let's take our first break now. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. You know, speaking of having targets painted on the, the backs of people who are in the gun-free zones, Obama's made another move today that has nothing to do with gun control, nothing to do with what happened in Charleston, but has directly to do with putting targets right on the foreheads or on the backs of American citizens abroad. He has formally come out and announced that we have a new hostage pro- process in this country, that we are no longer going to refuse to negotiate with hostage takers. 
Now, that has been our policy for a generation and has been, for the most part, successful. It has prevented people from going out and taking hostages and holding them for ransom because they couldn't get the ransom paid. Now, let me say this. In situations where you're dealing with the group and the family wants to try to pay the ransom or negotiate on their own with the hostage takers, that should probably they should probably be allowed to do that, but not as a matter of public policy. That would be done quietly. That could be done behind the scenes. What you don't do is have the President of the United States come out and announce that they're no longer going to prevent people from doing that, that they are going to allow the families openly to negotiate with the hostage takers, that they won't be criminally prosecuted for doing it. Now, he says the government is not going to do it, yet the government has done it in the Bergdahl case. I mean, what happened there? The President of the United States secretly negotiated with the Taliban. Now, they said, well, that's okay because the Taliban is not a terrorist organization. Well, there are a lot of dead soldiers in Afghanistan, a lot of dead civilians in Afghanistan, a lot of dead civilians in Pakistan that would say, you know, the Taliban is a terrorist organization. But in Obama's world, the only real terrorist organizations are, are the conservative movement, the Tea Party, the NRA, those are the terrorist organizations. Uh, other groups are not defined as terrorist organizations. So anyway, he negotiates with the Taliban, releases five top Taliban commanders for a, an American soldier who it turned out had deserted from his post and freely gone over to the Taliban. He should have been tried for treason, not have his release negotiated by turning over five top Taliban leaders. So the president has been breaking the law on his own, as he is so good at, for years, and negotiating with the, the terrorists, negotiating with the hostage takers. But at least he didn't come out and say, this is going to be our new policy. This is going to be officially the policy of the U.S. government, that if you want to take an American hostage, go get it. Take them. And we will see the people that can't afford it can negotiate for their release and pay you for their release. What does that tell the hostage takers out there? What does that tell the terrorist organizations? What does that tell ISIS and Al-Qaeda? What does that tell the Somali pirates? Because you remember how badly it, it worked out for them when they tried to take an American ship hostage and get money paid to them, and we put some SEALs out there that just blew these guys away. Uh, that slowed down the piracy of American ships considerably, the attempted piracy. But Obama has gone ahead and decided to put targets on our backs. And that's the way he does things. Something else that we need to talk about today, though, as a result of this incident in South Carolina, is the enlisting of Republicans, as I mentioned earlier, to launch an all-out attack on part of our history. Now, let me say this. Slavery is a blight on the history of this country. It is something that should have been done away with long ago, but it 
existed in most parts of the world. And it was finally done away with as a result of the Civil War. Although slavery was only one of the causes of the Civil War. The Civil War was caused by a number of factors, including the economic differences between the South and the North, uh, the efforts by the, the North to control the South, uh, to decide where they could sell their cotton, for example, because the South could get better prices for their cotton if they sold it abroad uh, in Europe than they could get of selling it to the, the northern states. And, you know, let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, the North had slaves, too. When this country was founded, all the states had slaves. In the North, slave was primarily, was finally done away with, for the most part, not because so many people oppose slavery. It's because economically it wasn't that feasible anymore. And the South, you had the agrarian economy made up primarily of plantations, primarily dealing in cotton. And they used the slaves for that labor. In the North, you had the slaves being used in industrial plants, because that was in, in some cases farms, tobacco, and that sort of thing. But for the most part, it was a southern thing because in the north, they decided that, you know, having slaves was not economically feasible anymore. Not when you had the Irish coming in as indentured servants, which was a form of slavery. And they were bringing in people from other countries as indentured servants. And what indentured servant meant was that you had your fare paid to get you from Ireland or some other country to the United States. And then you had to work for the person who paid your fare until you paid off your debt. Well, the thing is, you were working for very little pay. You still had to eat. You still had to buy clothing for your family. And you had to do that through the company store or through a store owned by your the person that owns your debt. So essentially it was set up so you could never pay the debt off. You just kept getting more and more in debt. This was a northern form of slavery. So the idea that the North had washed its hands of slavery for some altruistic reason is not true. There were people in the North and the South both that opposed slavery on the grounds that it was inhumane and it was wrong. Now, you never hear Obama admit that there are any people in the South that oppose slavery, but in fact... When the Civil War started, the Confederate Constitution outlawed slavery. It outlawed the importation of any more slaves. It says the existing slaves could continue to be slaves, but there could be no more importation of it, which meant eventually it would die out. And from an economic standpoint, people in the South have begun to realize that it was no longer a viable institution economically. There were a lot of conflicts between the northern and southern states. Nobody had clean hands. The war occurred. The Civil War, at the end of the Civil War, you had millions of freed slaves in the south. Did the north rush down to bring them to the north, to take care of them, to provide them with a job? No. They essentially were left on their own in the south. Many of them ended up going back, the ones that couldn't get up north, ended up going back to the plantations where they worked before and basically becoming tenant farmers or starting to work for the plantations, not as slaves, but as freemen.
because that was the only way they could survive. Over a million did not survive. Over a million former slaves died in the South from starvation within a few years after the Civil War ended because they basically were, were just thrown out on their own. The South was punished by the North for daring to secede from the Union, which from a perfectly legal standpoint, I think the states were entitled to secede from the Union. I think they're still entitled to secede from the Union because we were formed as a group of states, independent states, that just agreed to, to operate under a central government and a constitutional form of government. Well, here's my point. I'm going to tell you a story about a man named J.T. Kennedy, young Irish fellow, lived in Alabama, was a school teacher in a little town of Livingston, Alabama, had a little small farm on the side, was not a slave owner, and that's a myth that's been perpetuated for years, and that is that almost everybody in the South had at least one slave. Actually, very few people in the South owned slaves. It was primarily the big plantation owners that owned the slaves. Nobody else, the small farmers, didn't own slaves. They didn't need slaves to take care of their property. They did it themselves. That's what J.T. Kennedy did. Well, the Civil War broke out. And J.T. Kennedy went to fight for the South, fight for the Confederacy. Not because he was fighting for slavery. I don't know if he believed in slavery or not. But he was fighting for what he perceived was the freedom of his state to choose its own path, to decide whether or not to stay part of the Union to decide whether or not to stay part of the United States of America. At the Battle of Gettysburg, he was 22 years old. He was a sergeant in B Company of the 5th Alabama. He was also the company commander. The reason being is all the officers had been killed earlier in the war. And this, this regiment of 600 men had been taken from the towns of Livingston and York, Alabama. It's fairly small towns, although Livingston was a very prosperous town at that point. And it was, in fact, the county seat. They went off to fight, and that was virtually all of the men in those two counties. So J.T., my great-great-great-great-grandfather, decided to fight for the Confederacy, and ended up being a company commander at Gettysburg. The first day of the battle, he was with Ewell's Corps. They were along a fence, and they were attacking the Confederate or the Union Cavalry that was up on the hill in front of them. Young J.T., who had just recently been home, on leave, and had gotten his young wife pregnant with what would be their only child, but he never knew about it. He didn't live that long. J.T. climbed up on a rail fence and tried to lead a charge, and he was hit in the head with a mini ball, and he died. I have a letter written by him 
to his wife just days before the battle. I had the letter written by his commanding officer, battalion commander, to his wife, informing her that he had been killed. And I have another letter from a friend of his describing in detail his death. So I've done some research here. And let's take our second break, and I'll tell you how that research came out. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. My name is Dr. Jeff Terry from Mobile, Alabama. I love taking care of my patients and not computers. That is why I need your help. On October 1st, the government will mandate that I implement the new ICD-10 coding system, and if not able to do so, then I will be put out of business and my patients will have to find a new physician. Please call and write your congressmen and senators today and tell them no to ICD-10. Tell them physicians need a grace period in order to concentrate on you, the patient, and not the computer. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to America's Webradio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. The research I did about the Battle of Gettysburg and my ancestor J.T. Kennedy shows me that he was, in fact, a company commander. He was, in fact, leading the charge. He was, in fact, killed. Actually, he may have been kind of lucky because he was shot early on in the battle and killed instantly. His regiment, 5th Alabama, two days later, or the next day, I should say, was ordered to take Little Round Top, which overlooked the battlefield, and which neither side had thought to fortify at that point. And so basically, the Union Army battalions came up, or brigades came up one side of the hill, the Confederate came up the other side of the hill, they pretty much got to the top at the same time, turned their guns on each other, and opened fire. And with the cannon fire and everything, it was pretty devastating. In fact, at the beginning of the Civil War, 600 men marched away from Livingston and York, Alabama, to fight for the Confederacy. Twelve came back alive. It took almost a century for that area to recover. They had no men left in the area, particularly no young men. 
They were never the same after that. It was a tragedy. The whole Civil War was a tragedy for this country. I'm glad slavery was abolished. I don't think it should ever have been a legal institution. But it was. I'm just sorry it took a civil war to abolish it. But the point is that my ancestor, and by the way, I had ancestors on the other side in the Union Army. Some of them could conceivably have been at that same location in that same battle, and one of them could have shot JT. It was not a brother-against-brother situation, because this was J.T. Kennedy, the southern branch of, the, of my family, on my mother's side, and on the other side was Connolly's, the Irish, from the northern branch of my family, my father's side of the family. So I had him on both sides. I have been a student of the Civil War for years. I have researched it. No question about it that one of the greatest generals this country ever produced was Robert E. Lee. When my father, and I point this out in my book, The Mortarman, about my dad's unit during World War II, that part of the time they were, they were doing their training, they trained at Gettysburg, and they followed the campaign of Robert E. Lee. And that was a losing campaign. But they followed his battle plan. They followed the battle plan of Meade on the Union side to find out how these people fought because they fought so brilliantly. We had a civil war. I honor the people on both sides because they fought for what they believed in. They fought for their states or they fought for their country. Most of them were not fighting for slavery. Most of them did not believe in slavery on the southern side. Many people on the northern side were not fighting to abolish slavery. They didn't know that much about slavery. They were fighting to preserve the Union. Now, as a result of what happened in Charleston, Republicans and Democrats are getting together to do what Democrats have wanted to do for years, what the liberals have wanted to do for years, and that's destroy part of our history. To tell us that we are bad people, if we look at the Confederate battle flag and don't think about slavery, don't consider it racist, consider it part of our history. All of the, the usual companies are rushing to ban sale of the Confederate flag. That includes Walmart and Target and Amazon and eBay. Why? It's part of our history. It does not mean on its face that it is racist. It means it's a flag that was carried during the battles that were fought during the Civil War. Battles fought by Americans against other Americans. Brave men on both sides. Rush Limbaugh came out today and pointed out something that I thoroughly agree with, and I don't always agree with Rush, but he said that this onslaught of the flag of the Confederacy is the opening shot by the left 
and the ultimate target is the American flag. And I'd already heard rumblings about this, where you've got left-wing professors and, and left-wing uh, pundits in the media coming out and saying, the American flag itself is a symbol of racism. It's a symbol of oppression. It's a symbol of oppression around the world. I mean, after all, we attack the poor Japanese. And by the way, some of our students believe that. I've read some essays written by students in high school in this country who believe that the World War II was started by our dropping the atomic bomb on the Japanese. They don't know anything about Pearl Harbor. The Common Core teachings right now, I don't think they even mention Pearl Harbor. They don't mention anything about the battles. They talk about Japanese-Americans being interned. They talk about racism in the military. They don't talk about our generals. They don't talk about us winning World War II. They don't talk about the Holocaust. They never mention the Holocaust in Common Core. That didn't exist. Well, that's why they're playing fast and loose with our history. About the Confederate flag and now about the American flag. That if we just abolish the American flag and come up with some new flag, maybe we'll boss picture on it. Remember that? Remember how they had in some of his campaign headquarters when he was running for president in 2008, the American flag except the field of stars had been replaced by Obama's face. Now we have students and young people being encouraged to go out and stomp on the American flag and post videos of it. We have HOAs telling veterans American veterans who fought for that flag, that if you want to live in this complex or you don't want to live in this housing subdivision, you can't fly an American flag because it might be offensive to some Muslim 5,000 miles away. To hell with that. But that's what they're after. I can tell you right now, as a veteran of the United States Army, as someone who has fought for my country, whose father fought for this country, whose ancestors fought for this country in every war up to and including the American Revolution, that do not let me see you stomping on my flag. I don't care if I'm arrested. I don't care if I'm accused of violating your freedom of expression. I'm going to take you out. But let's think about that. Freedom of expression. To stomp on the American flag, it's okay. But it's not okay to fly the Confederate flag. That's also freedom of expression. So here we go with our usual double-edged sword that doesn't cut both ways, it just cuts one way. It takes away our freedom, it takes away the symbol of our country, it takes away the symbols of our history. The left has also started coming out and claiming that they have to go into Washington, D.C. and into the capital of the United States and remove the statues. And these statues are put out in the Hall of Statues. The statue they have, each state is allowed to have two statues of people that were... Uh, important to their history and heritage. The 
left wants to go in and remove all those that are of people that were in any way associated with the Confederacy. Or even were associated with the South prior to the Confederacy. One of those is one of my ancestors, again, Wade Hampton, a Confederate cavalry gentleman, general. Now, he fought for the Confederacy. He fought honorably. He resisted the Reconstruction that was forced on the South, which was designed to punish the South, not to reconcile it with the North. I have never seen anything in any history I've read about this man to indicate that he was in any way connected with the Ku Klux Klan or any racist organization whatsoever. Yet, they want to remove his statue because they say he was a racist. And why was he a racist? Because he was a Confederate. The institution of slavery has always been abhorrent to me. But here's a fact that people don't discuss. And certainly you're never going to hear Obama discuss. Slaves were imported in this country via ships that came from Africa. Often the crews of these ships, these ships British or French or from the Bahamas, they went and got the slaves on the African coast. Now, they didn't generally go inland searching, searching for slaves, people to capture and use the slaves. The slaves were brought to the coast by other members of African tribes who would raid a tribe that they didn't like, and they would take people as slaves, and they would sell them as slaves to the slave drivers. A lot of the slaves, though, were captured by Muslims. This was a big business for the Arabs, the Muslim Arabs. You know that religion of peace that we keep hearing about? This was a big business. That was to take blacks and sell them as slaves. And they didn't just come to the United States. They didn't just come to the South. They came to Bermuda. They came to, to Haiti. They came all over the Caribbean. They came to South America. There were slaves in this country that belonged to Indian tribes. It was something that needed to be eradicated. And we need to honor the fact that it was eradicated. And we need to honor the people that fought in that civil war, who believed in what they were fighting for, and who ultimately reconciled themselves and became another country again, ultimately the greatest country in the world. That's how we need to remember that. Let's take our final break. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. 
Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. The United States Justice Foundation since 1979 has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Okay, let's let's think about this, ladies and gentlemen. What do we have happening in the world right now? What do we have happening in our country? We've got a sluggish economy. We've got runaway illegal immigration. We've got a president of the United States who is acting outside of the Constitution, who has granted amnesty to millions of people who came here illegally, who is trying to put them on a fast track to citizenship, even though... Two federal courts have now said that what he did was unconstitutional, and he's basically ignoring that and going ahead with what he's doing. We have a wide-open southern and northern borders. We have we know there are terrorist groups associated with terrorist organizations coming across that border. We know that the federal government has released into the population 68,000 convicted criminals, all of whom were illegal aliens all of who committed crimes, up to including rape and murder. And when they served their sentences, they were supposed to be sent back to their country of origin. The country of origins sometimes don't want them. So what do we do? We release them into the general population. Of the so-called dreamers that Obama is trying to help with his amnesty, 121 of them who have been released from federal custody have been committed murders just in the last few months. 121 American citizens, for the most part, have been murdered by illegals released by the Obama administration. We have ISIS continuing to make headway with little opposition from the United States, continuing to make headway in the Middle East and in Africa, other parts of Africa. We have terrorist attacks in this country, we had the attack in Garland, Texas. Here recently, we've had a number of people arrested and prevented from joining ISIS or making attacks here in this country. We have a military that's in shambles. Obama's more interested in using the military for social experimentation, like pushing for gay marriage and transgender military members, than he is for defending our country. All of this is happening, and what is the primary topic of conversation in this country among the national news media and among the politicians? It's not Obama's scandals. It's not Benghazi. It's not the uh, Operation Fast and Furious. 
It's not any of the things that Obama, the IRS, targeting conservative groups. It's not ISIS. It's not terrorism. The primary topic of conversation in this country is whether or not to ban the Confederate flag. Now, what does that say about our priorities? To me, it says we don't have any. We don't have any priorities right now that deal with what's going on in this country. The United States Justice Foundation is trying to change all that. Uh, I mentioned before that we have launched a project because we're anticipating, frankly, that the United States Supreme Court is going to find that somewhere in the Constitution, probably the 14th Amendment, and I've read the 14th Amendment, ladies and gentlemen, go read the 14th Amendment. There's nothing in the 14th Amendment about gay marriage. There's nothing in the 14th Amendment about marriage at all. There's nothing in the Constitution about marriage. That was something that was left for the states to define. Yet we think the Supreme Court is going to decide that all the states have legalized gay marriage. Basically, once again, telling us that the federal government is supreme to the states, which is exactly what the Constitution said is not true and what the Constitution <laughs> was designed to prevent. But what we've done is we have gotten together a group of the top legal minds in this country, legal scholar, constitutional scholars, legal experts, and policy experts, and we have produced a series of articles about what would happen and what will happen and should happen if the Supreme Court rules that gay marriage is legal, because it's going to be have far-reaching implications. We've already seen businesses close down because under their conscience as Christians or members of other religions, they could not, in fact, bake a cake for a gay wedding or allow a gay wedding to be hosted in their facility. They've been fined by the state by state governments. They've been vilified by the news media. They've been forced to shut down their operations and in some time in some cases have lost their businesses entirely. Never been able to reopen. We have chaplains in the US military that are being told that they will be dishonorably discharged and court martialed if they don't if they say anything negative about gay marriage. We have churches being threatened with the loss of their income tax exemption if they don't go along with gay marriage. All of this is going to be get much worse if, in fact, the Supreme Court rules as we think they will. If that is the case, we have put down things that can be done and ways that this can be challenged. The states can fight it. Local governments can fight it. Local sheriffs can fight it. All of these articles have been published on the United States Justice website. Go to usjf.net and take a look at our website, because this is one of the fights we're in the forefront of. We filed a front-of-the-court brief on the Supreme Court on this issue, as we did around the country on uh, in other cases. And we have been successful in some cases recently. We recently were successful in the California case where the state of California was allowing the police to go in and, and review hotel registrations without a warrant. In other words, they could check on you and find out what you were doing, where you were staying, without having any reason to do so other than they were curious. 
Well, the Supreme Court ruled that that is unconstitutional. We were involved in that case. So go to usjf.net and check out what we're involved to involved in. I'm also going to be writing a new article in the next day or two, which I'll be posting on my website at www.michaelconley.com. And it's going to be basically talking about the utopian society that the liberals envision for us and what that utopia would really be like and what it really means. You can also, on my website there, you can find out how to order copies of my books, including the one I just mentioned earlier about my dad's unit in World War II, uh, The Mortarman, uh, that has become a, a big seller, particularly on Amazon, uh, where they're selling a lot of copies as an e-book and also as a paperback. The same is true of my other books, and particularly Amelia, A Story of America, my patriotic novel, which the left utterly despises, and that makes me feel so good. But you can also order that through that site, uh, through my website, if you want a signed copy. Or you can order, like I said, off of Amazon, Barnes & Noble. All the major booksellers are carrying my books at this point. However, if you want a copy of our Constitution, which is a little pocket-sized booklet I have on the Constitution, where I take each article, each section, each amendment of the Constitution, and I put them in the way they were originally written, and then I make my comments about what they really mean. If you want a copy of that or multiple copies to hand out to, to school children or to friends and neighbors, you can get those only through my website, michaelconnolly.jigsy.com, or the website of my personal nonprofit that I basically is dormant since I took over the U.S. Justice Foundation, but we still it still is the, the owner of the booklets. Uh, our Constitution, that's www.constitution.jigsy.com. You can find out how to order single copies, which are only like $6, including postage, but you can also find out how to get substantial discounts on multiple copy orders. Uh, people, like I said, are ordering them to be distributed to schools, both private and public schools around the country. Uh, they're ordering them to give out to groups. And, you know, this is not your standard little pocket version of the Constitution, where all they say you have is the reprint of the Constitution. Here I make clear explanations. Non-legalized language where people can understand exactly what I'm talking about. For example, I point out that the words separation of church and state are not in the Constitution. And yet our children are being caught in schools that, that, that is in the Constitution. I point out that there is a preamble of the Bill of Rights which most people don't even know exist, because it's not in a lot of textbooks. Uh, when they print the Constitution, they, they leave out the preamble for some reason. The preamble to the Bill of Rights basically is a warning to the federal government that's being created by the very Constitution. And the Founding Fathers are saying, look, the rights contained in this these ten amendments to the Constitution, this Bill of Rights, are not rights given to us by the government. Because if we acknowledge that the government gave them the right, gave us the rights, and we acknowledge they can take them away, these are in fact rights that are given to us by our Creator, and the federal government cannot touch them. Now, what does that say about the assaults on the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, all being done by the federal government? 
And by the way, the attacks on the VA and our veterans, that continues to go on. If you're a veteran and you're in danger of losing your Second Amendment rights, contact me at michael at usjfmail.net. Michael at usjfmail.net. We will represent you for free, and we will try to help you defend your, your constitutional rights to own a firearm and your rights to do this. Michael at usjfmail.net. And you can also go to usjf.net and find out, keep up with what we're doing. Veterans, we understand now, are the, you know all this business about the treatment of veterans, the care of veterans is going to get better. Here, this started breaking. Veterans are now waiting even longer to get health care, and they're finding that their care is being rationed. So we got a lot of fights going on out there. We don't charge anybody anything for representing them. You can go to usjf.net and donate to us. Find out how to donate to us. Thank you for having me with you again. I look forward to talking to you again next week. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.